I think interrupting is like a sign that you're listening and other people think it's really rude. So safe space to interrupt here. I appreciate that. I thought it was just an ADHD thing, but I guess it also is a Jewish thing. <laughs> Honestly, like it's definitely. Both. <laughs> yeah. And then if you're ADHD and Jewish, you're just fucked. <laughs> <laughs> Raise his hand. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Soph Might Know, a podcast about life, death, and everything in between. I am your host, Soph or Sophia, and coincidentally, my guest today happens to have the same fantastic name. Hi, Soph. Would you like to introduce yourself, give any qualifiers or qualifiers as you'd like, and we'll move on. Sounds good. Hi, Pod. Yeah, so I'm Sophia uh, or Soph as well, and I know uh, so from Jew Camp, actually, way back in the day, and I live in LA, and I do stand up, and I like to talk, so I am excited to be here. <laughs> <laughs> that is essentially everything I feel the exact same about, except for the stand up and the LA part, but <laughs> amazing to have you. <laughs> All of my favorite podcasters are based out of LA. So this makes me almost feel more legit. So love that. And yes, we did meet at camp way back in our youth TM. (laughs) We were still living through our Tumblr phases and, you know, just before all of the messy life decisions that got us into our mid twenties. And so actually is a friend that first introduced me into astrology, which you will definitely hear me talk more about. (laughs) I can't help being a Virgo and everything that I do and am. And what's wonderful is Sophie taught me about natal charts and cafe astrology. So would you like to give your, your rundown? Sure. Uh, Yeah. So, I mean, I love astrology and both me and Soph are Virgos, which is great. And yeah, I mean, I got into astrology just in the Tumblr era. I would just go through different blogs that had little one-liners about each sign and just read them all. And then, you know, once I found Cafe Astrology, it was game over and have been an astrology hoe ever since. (laughs) I actually I looked up even though it's a bad app and no one should really be using it it is one of my favorite ways to use my friends charts and keep them in my phone co-star so I looked back at your co-star and mine and like compared like the compatibility section just to read through and be like all right what what takes is co-star trying to give us and it was really funny because one of the predictions they had for literally for today was that our communication would be very out of sync today (laughs) oh no (laughs) (laughs) so everything with astrology is a grain of salt and like pay from it what you will I think that horoscopes like day-to-day predictions are stupid but if you want to like have your natal chart read and learn what your moon is and your ascendant and like your mars and your venus and all those things that can actually read you better than a book personally I have never felt more seen and more um I am in this picture and I did not ask to be than when I read my full natal chart 
Yeah. So thank you. Thank you for that eye-opening. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I just love astrology because I love <laughs> judging people and putting them into boxes. Uh, so it's like provides a really great way to do that. <laughs> <laughs> it does, but it leaves room for a lot of like nuance too. Because... It's all true unless it's not. Right. Well, <laughs> it's like it's all true unless it doesn't apply to you. And then it's like, it just really depends. <laughs> It's a good way to like be introspective too, I think. Yes. Astrology for personal growth. Astrology has helped me grow a lot as a person because it can kind of shine a light or almost be like a mirror to, um, you know, things that you might not notice yourself, but then when your chart is calling you out, you sort of are forced to reconsider what you thought you knew about yourself. And it does give you this opportunity to sort of expand and explore yourself more and find, like, you know, just discover more about yourself. Absolutely. And in a really almost unbiased way, because it's hard sometimes to take that kind of reflection from other people because their biases are just intrinsically linked. But when you're getting it from a kind of independent source like that saying, look, this is what it is. This is how we've interpreted it. And then being able to look at that and go, okay, maybe it lands more than I realized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Always calling you out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like CoStar loves to call people out too. CoStar is always like, something bad is going to happen. <laughs> or like you, maybe you should be checking yourself more often. Like, okay, go start. You yeah. absolutely calm down on some of your hot dates. I turned yeah. off the, like daily notification for that reason. Yeah. Um, go start was getting ominous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like lay off. I'm literally just trying to live co-star. Why are you attacking <laughs> me every day? <laughs> Literally, literally. I prefer if I'm really going to be like dragged like that, I'd much rather it come from like a meme account on Instagram where they do like the sets of everyone and I can look through and find my best friend and send to her and you know, <laughs> read through everybody's. It's much less mortifying, like personal than <laughs> it is otherwise. So, yes. All right. Uh, I like death and I like finding beauty in it. And so I found a poem um, that I'm going to read since I'm not really sure how I'm quite going to be like starting off each episode, but I want something to kind of help break the ice and then transition us a little bit. So here is this poem. I do not have an author name because the internet does not always have everything, but here it is. It's called The Breath of Death. It says, we bleed, we need, we agreed to this greed. We dine, we drink. We stand alone and stare. We romance, we chance, we fantasize with death. Because in the end, we are all just a single breath. So a quick one, a short fella that kind of summarizes a lot of what I'm trying to do with this pod, um, thinking of things in terms of death, because I'm always going to be fascinated by it. Um, It is you know, the last great adventure or the greatest mystery or, you know, the eternal slumber, like whatever it is, we don't get to know until we know. And then the game's over. So all we can do in the meantime is obsessively think about it or not. And maybe it would be a wiser choice to totally ignore it. But I like to think of things in the context of what if I only have five years left to live on the world? Like, 
what am I going to do? And I know that I'm young and I'm as healthy as, you know, uh, mentally ill Jew can be. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know, we're all trying. (laughs) (laughs) Like you never know and freak accidents happen and, you know, violence happens. Like you never know. And if you're able to kind of take a step out of your own perspective and look forward to what you really want from life, I just, I just think there's a lot of interesting, you know, content there that a lot of people are maybe squeamish to talk about. And so this is not a space to be uncomfy or afraid. It's, I think, hopefully going to be a kind of calming, like, all right, we all kind of think this way. We all want to talk about this in some manner. And there's Mm -hmm. a lot of interesting nuance to uncover. Yes. So with that in mind, I sent a handful of questions to Soph beforehand, just to give a little bit more background into the concept that I'm trying to do with this pod, since there are no episodes out yet for people to listen to and understand what we're doing. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to start with one that you have selected, and it's how long is an appropriate amount of time to grieve before you move on? I just think that's really kind of interesting. And like, what does, you know, moving on look like? Are there different degrees to it? However you interpret the question. Yeah, I I would agree that there are a lot of different degrees of grieving and like levels of moving on. And I liked that question just because I feel like it's a very different experience if say like an acquaintance that yes, you maybe like have had some good times with, but maybe you weren't super close with dies versus somebody like a parent or a partner or like a closer somebody closer to you and so I don't think that really there's any like appropriate time to um you know like grieve or stop grieving or what have you like I really do think it's a case-by-case basis and for example I mean you know I had a friend that died a few years ago and this was probably like the closest person to me that had ever died so far. We weren't super close. I mean, if I'm being real, he was sort of like this on and off fuck buddy. Um, oh, wow. Oh, wow. That like. That's, but that's like, that's close. That's intimate in an entirely different way than like any other kind of acquaintance. Yeah. Like, like you know, we had had sex multiple times and you know, I, I found out. Would you like me to give him a name so that we keep his anonymity absolutely safe? Sure. How about would Todd work? Feels like a Todd to me. Yeah, we can use Todd. That works. Right. Todd. So yeah, Todd, for the purposes of this podcast. Yeah, like he like played a huge role in my college experience. And I was really sad when I found out he had died. And it's weird, like, I'll be totally fine and then certain like songs will come on that remind me of him or there'll just be certain things that remind me of him and then you know I remember fondly but it's just so weird because it's so finite it's like that that person is now gone at least in the mortal plane and I was sad about it but I think I also compartmentalized it right so it wasn't like I took a week off of work or anything when I found out I was just kind of sad for a few days and then I just sort of moved on you know I was distracting myself and as time has gone on I've thought about it 
less, but I think you, in a way, you never really stop grieving, I guess. You know, whenever you remember somebody, I feel like you're still sort of grieving. And I don't think that's necessarily like a negative thing. Like you're remembering them and you're probably going to feel sad when you remember them for the most part. Or sometimes I laugh. I laugh about some of this stuff. Like, and so, yeah, I guess to the question, I think it's really a case by case basis and grieving looks different for everyone. And like, I, I feel like you can't really judge, you know, because people are really good at compartmentalizing emotions. Like I definitely am. And so I could be grieving, but still like functioning in society. Absolutely. I I completely agree with that. I also think that grieving is an extremely case-by-case basis for just so many different factors because, you know, you're not just grieving the life and then death of the person. You're grieving the life and death that you thought you were going to continue having if this person was going to continue existing. Even if it was someone who you weren't, you know, going to get married and like have a lifelong connection with, it's still jarring when that part of your life is effectively, like you say, like just finitely closed. That chapter is just closed. Like you'll never run into them at a grocery store and hear about their family and, you know, all the amazing things. Like there's just empty space. And that Mm -hmm. is a lot to work through. And it, it doesn't have to all be done in one day. I think one of the most kind of comforting things to me when I think about grieving is knowing that you might feel completely fine one day and then be completely destroyed by it on a random Tuesday. And that that day of grieving is just as important as the first week that you found out because, Mm -hmm. you know, who's to say what's really important? Who's to say what kind of timeline anyone really has to be on? Mm -hmm. It's just kind of working through that mentally and, and, the brain likes to kind of turn off when it gets over-traumatized or over-stimulated. And grieving is mm-hmm. one of those kinds of experiences where you can really lose yourself in grief. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's a really excellent point. You know, another thing that you had mentioned is in terms of our mortal plane. <laughs> so yes. talk to me about your thoughts on the afterlife or on, you know, that kind of maybe more spiritual mentality. Yeah, so I do not believe in heaven or hell. As Jews, we don't. It's one of our nice things. Yeah, yes, exactly. And I'm just like, in terms of, okay, yes, mortal plane versus spiritual plane, I have a lot of different thoughts about it. Because growing up, I definitely had encounters with ghosts. Me too. Wait, do you remember actually at camp? Yes. Yes. This summer where Jen and I- the Ouija board, Ben, from the 60s. <laughs> no, what? Wait, okay, I feel like I need to tell you about the camp Ouija board, Ben, because I, I don't know if we were in the same bunk that year or what. So you remember Jen? Um, there was like three Jens, were there not? Yeah, well, so like we'll a just Jen, say one of the Jenny, Jens. A Jennifer, a Jennifer, <laughs> like, Yeah, everyone's, it's a party. But in terms of the afterlife, so Jen had gotten a Ouija board when, um, I don't know, we went to like the Toys R Us or something in NYC and like M&M World, like we did like a weird New York field trip or something. Those New York field trips, oh my God. (laughs) 
Oh, like, which is kind God. of a weird thing to do at summer camp to like take a field trip to New York. <laughs> so she got a Ouija board and the first night we used the Ouija board, uh, pretty much all the girls in the bunk were using it and it was kind of fun. And this is where we met them. And then eventually everyone else got bored, but Jen and I would stay up like really late talking to Ben and Ben was like really like honestly a creepy ass ghost. He'd be like, yeah, I was in the shower with your counselor or say stuff like, uh, he would always lie about how he died. Like every time he said, like, all we knew is that he was Ben, he was from the 60s and he had brown hair and glasses. Why was he hanging out with all of these underage girls? Like, what then come on man (laughs) and and so but like we're like I don't know 13 or 14 or something so we're like crazy um and uh there was this one night where Jen started to like almost pass out and she was like Ben is making me pass out like he wants me to stop talking to you or like I don't it was so weird I feel like I blocked some of this out of my memory. And then there was a point where she like, Jen would be like, Ben, wiggle my ears. And then her ears would wiggle and stuff like that. And like a bunch of like, I don't know, some other stuff went down. All I know is that after summer camp, I was terrified to even think the name Ben. Wow. And at one point, like we, we had a Six Flags field trip and Jen passed out. She left camp for a few days and she came back. And when she came back, she was like, Ben is like attached to me now. And I wrote letters with Jen, uh, you know, because how at camp, we didn't have, we weren't allowed access to phones. So to keep in touch over the years, sometimes you would write letters to your friends just to keep up the camp spirit. So we write letters and I still have some of these letters where she would tell me about how she was trying to look up how to exercise Ben from her. But like every time that she did, he would get mad. And she said once she like closed her eyes and saw a dead face and she was like, this is Ben and all this stuff. And I remember also like she would send me pictures and she'd like circle and she'd be like, there's ghosts here. So I don't know, like in that instance, looking back, it's easy for me to say, we just made that up. But all I know, it was very real to me in that moment, to like the point where like I was scared to even think the name. So I do think ghosts are real, but I think it's like almost like a multidimensional thing, like energy trapped from other dimensions that's like creating friction within our space that's like causing these interactions. I don't know if it's necessarily like, a ghost in the traditional sense as much as it is we really don't understand how energy works like spiritual energy and I really do think there is something multi-dimensional about it and getting broader in terms of the spiritual plane we're all connected right like we're all connected like are there moments you know when you have deja vu or when you just know something and you don't know how you knew it whatever like, I think we can tap into our collective psyche. Uh, like, I think it's possible. And I think that also sort of is 
what the spiritual plane is like part of this collective psyche like the cloud yeah like the cloud like the literal cloud, <laughs> the og cloud like our spiritual psychic energy cloud that oh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of how i feel about spiritual world and ghosts in so many words Hell yeah. You asked the question, you know, what happens when we die? And I think that there's a lot of options. I think there's as many options as there are, you know, as being born and how many options you kind of get from that. Like, yeah, you're stuck within a certain subset of your race and your gender and the time period that it is. And, you know, the people who are in power are going to create and determine things beyond your control. But that doesn't mean that those people are God. And so in the same sense, when you die, is it really up to God or is it just up to like forces that are just above us in a way because we're like infants in it? And if when you die, you have any measure of choice, I do think that if your concept before death is there is nothing, you're just six feet in the dirt, eternal sleep, nothing else, that's it. Then that's maybe what happens because you're able to kind of manifest, create your own destiny in that sense. I can't imagine people really wanting to like go to hell. So maybe that's why it really doesn't exist. And like the concept of heaven, which is like a little bit kind of okay in Judaism is, you know, maybe more plausible. But I also think that heaven is a little bit too much of a utopia idea. And maybe heaven was possible back hundreds, you know, or thousands of years ago when humanity was simpler but I think the amount of like negative energy that we create in our late stage capitalist world is kind of gonna ruin it for anybody hell is earth and one thing about heaven that I want to say like I think you bring up an interesting point of like maybe heaven could exist back in the day the reason why I don't believe heaven or hell exists is because they're so clearly dreamt up by humans just like us both of them just seem to almost of the mortal world like the way that heaven works and the way that hell works if our souls leave our body torture and bliss looks completely different and so I feel like the ideas of heaven and hell and the bible for example are just so one-dimensional so that they couldn't be real because it's just so clearly somebody that's like the worst thing that they could imagine or the best thing that they could imagine with their limited scope of just only having lived on the mortal plane. <laughs> Literally though, yeah, it really does. It affects your your vantage point. It's the same way that, you know, the differently able communities are insulted if you try to tell them that like their reality is a bad or a worse one. It's just different. Like we are only ever within, mm-hmm. you know, the the fields that we are given, the perspectives that we're given. And you can do some introspection to kind of expand those. But by and large, like you're going to have the perspectives that you do because of the flesh prison you're a part of. Mm-hmm. Damn straight. Um, <laughs> flesh prison. <laughs> Literally. I mean, and just like the whole concept of existence is so fundamentally absurd to me in so many ways. Like you, Think about the actual chance of life existing and like all of the things that had to happen at the right kind of way in the right kind of good soup, like to occur, to create, you know, whatever God particle that was needed to create us and the life that we now are able to look at with our computers and our microphones and our Instagram and, you know, our 
return to gardening as a cute little hobby. <laughs> yeah. Um, connecting with nature that we've like effectively been destroying and continue to destroy yeah. further. Like just getting a little piece of it, right? And just completely commodifying it. Like it's just, it's so beyond, I think, to really say like we're destined to have heaven and like we deserve it. I think that you can't dispute the fact that like energy is energy and you know the energy that we have to create life in our gardening or you know to create the products and things that we have and all of the energy that we each individually output energy can't be like created or destroyed right some scientists said that and I think that's true in death too like if the soul is no longer within the body animating it in the way that we are used to does that really mean that it's just gone I just, there's so many times in which people have said, oh, my so-and-so relative was so attached to monarch butterflies. And now I see a monarch butterfly and I just know. But one thing I want to say about the monarch butterfly thing is I feel like that's almost a tool that we use in our brains to cope with our grief. Like my mom like says, whenever she sees like a red-vested robin she's like that's my dad right and so I don't know like I think that it is comforting and we do get to create our reality in that sense right you know people can live on based on us remembering them and so in that sense yeah every time you see a monarch butterfly or every time you see a robin yes that person is alive in your spirit and you know alive just in the spirit of this animal just by the virtue of you remembering them and thinking of them yeah absolutely for my family my father's father passed away on my dad's birthday uh, when I was a kid and he died from I believe a heart condition and was only in his like 60s I think um so pretty early all things considered Mm -hmm. and he was kind of a like Goliath in the family like he was my grandfather he wasn't just like my grandpa or something like my mom's dad was my papa like a cute name and he was my grandfather and my dad is you know one of five boys so him like all of them losing their it was really really like powerful in that sense and at the funeral there was a dragonfly that stayed for the entirety of the funeral and my dad was absolutely convinced uh that my grandfather was in in this dragonfly and you know to this day every time I see a a dragonfly I think that could be him probably not but it could be it Mm. could be and I kind of love the idea of maybe having the ability to stick around for a little bit of period after your death and you know the checking in on your family making sure everyone's okay sticking around in that sense and then quote unquote moving on to whatever that means and if Mm -hmm. that's the case then I definitely think that my grandfather did so we'll never know but I mean the 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 dragonfly being at the duration of the whole funeral that's kind of crazy to me you know, because that's a more focusing. It's not like you just see a dragonfly, whatever, they fly away. It's like, these are very specific instances where you're like, grandfather? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, that, like, the funeral thing kind of blows my mind. 
because also dragonflies like you don't see them around that much they're not that common they're not and they don't just sit and stay you know like you might see one kind of flutter through like I would I remember seeing dragonflies the most like over the summer when I would go to the pool like different pools too in different places Mm -hmm. and I would usually see like one and it might like flitter through and then flitter away (laughs) so this is definitely a lot more substantial Mm -hmm. you never know you never know I like the idea that people who maybe lost their lives and wanted to like stick around more for their family are able to but it's it's a hard kind of creepy factor right because it's just like Ben where it's like why is he in the bathroom with our counselor like why would I imagine that as like a 13 year old right I mean I might I don't know I'm like my mind's always in the gutter so um I don't know like there's just it's an extra kind of level to it because it would have been so easy for you guys to say that it was a girl it would have been so easy for you guys to come up you know with a totally different backstory but this specific backstory almost feels like it's more more genuine because it's just that outlandish like Mm -hmm. to where we were in our early days I also think about we were at an all-girls camp so did we just like come up with this random boy I don't I don't know again I still was just terrified to even think the name so like well the good news is in the 60s in terms of the history of our camp um because I did quite a few projects on it in my time and yeah so the camp was founded in the early 1900s wow so it was it was around a while because again like my my mom's mom actually went wow I didn't realize it was that old and she was like kind of one of the first generations that wasn't just like the working girls so our our camp was initially open for the girls in factories literal girls I'm not talking about women girls in like factories. child labor before there were child labor laws tea and yeah. <laughs> giving them a nice summer and so they bought the land that we now know of and gave all of their time energy into creating a really nice place for these girls to get a break and to have some fun in nature um, and to feel like kids again and eventually it grew into an organization that you have to be quite wealthy and not work um, at all as a child in order to attend but the foundations are still, you know, that that's where their original intent was as they created and expanded what we now know of as camp. So in the 60s, there weren't men there. That's so interesting. Then what the hell, Ben? Well, one thing about Ouija boards that's important for anyone listening that is interested in Ouija boards, Ouija boards will only attract malignant, malicious, mischievous spirits. Ouija boards are never going to attract the person you actually want to talk to. And ghosts on Ouija boards are notorious for lying. Yes. Yes. So like this ghost could have just made up their whole backstory. So I don't know. Like, yeah, we don't know what the rules are in the spirit world. We don't know what kind of imagery they're able to project or, you know, how they're able to interact and, and where the lines maybe get to be drawn because I have a feeling that how how far they're able to travel. Like did Ben, if, if, okay, if this ghost really truly was Ben from the sixties, did he, was he at the camp or was he like, did he travel there or he could have been, what's that base that's like really close to camp for Fort something 
Oh, yeah, there's like an army base or something nearby. Yeah, 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 yeah. I bet he could have been one of those bros. Oh, my God, maybe. That would track. (laughs) Or at the very least, like a dude who could, you know, then try to like have fun by scaring (laughs) these poor girls at summer camp. Creepy to like 13 year old girls. (laughs) 2010. (laughs) He told us he was uh, our age. Yeah, of course he fucking did. Yeah, Her. fucking Lion Lion Ben is what we should really call it. Yeah, Lion Ben. That even is his real name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I just think that there has to be whether it's the multiverse or multiple dimensions or you know, whatever, but like this sounds ridiculous, but it just feels very true, like in my bones. And sometimes you just get that kind of gut instinct about certain concepts. And this is one that I'm just like, mm. yeah, there can be more. We just don't even have the language to really articulate what that means. Mm-hmm. Like defining it by the context that we're able to understand in our three-dimensional yeah no absolutely like wait I have a question for you yeah have you ever seen a ghost yeah yeah. or had a ghost encounter yeah so I okay so my family's house is about a hundred years old or so and we've lived there there since I was four so I was a child with granted an overactive imagination So I have told this story to my parents and they have discounted it as they are deserving to do. That's fine. I get it because I was a child, but that's the thing. Like the veil is thinner when you're a child. Is it because your imagination is better or is it because the veil is just thinner? Like I couldn't tell you. Most children are psychic. Yeah. I was so psychic as like, I still Mm. like that kind of, I'm trying to tap back into my, you know, childlike intuition because it was so strong it's some of my strongest memories you know like most Mm -hmm. of your memories from childhood eventually kind of disappear but the supernatural ones don't (laughs) they really stick with me yeah they stick with you yeah okay so the ghosts that I the ghosts that I had the interactions with okay so the first one I was walking it was evening it was bedtime I had gone to the bathroom and was walking back to my bedroom and it was like, it was like a flash. It was like a haze. It's like, if you really tried to look at the spot, if you tried to focus your eyes, like you wouldn't see anything necessarily, but if your eyes were just kind of like unfocused, it was very apparent that there was a Mm. little girl, my age in a nightdress, but she looked more Victorian. You could say than I was, you know, like I was in a, Mm. in a t-shirt as my pajamas and she was in like a powder blue nightgown with like lace like her bed dress (laughs) yeah you know and had like the hairstyle of like girls of that period with the braids in the back and she was literally just like standing standing and I kind of just had to like round the corner to get into my room and that's like the corner right where she was and I kind of didn't notice at first and like I went back to turn around and I think she like did like this to me, like like a sh symbol. Okay. And I just like went into my room and came back out, and like she wasn't there. And I was just like, okay, oh my god, the eyes. That's fine. 
Um, and didn't really think anything Wait, of it. Wait, at the end when she shushed you? That's crazy. She's like, don't tell. It didn't feel like dangerous. It didn't feel scary. It didn't feel like amazing. It just, it was very kind of mundane almost. Innocuous. Yeah. Like she kind of wasn't expecting me to necessarily see her or to have a reaction. And like, I didn't have a really big reaction, but I still needed to be quiet for the purpose of her game, whatever it was. Yeah. It was casual. Yeah. <laughs> so a little bit later, a couple weeks, a week, maybe a month at most, I I basically forgotten about the entire encounter. And then I went to the third floor at my parents' house, which was a location that at that point in my life at around age, let's say 10, it was the second computer room because this was again back in the olden days. I'm sorry, Gen Zers, before everyone mm. had their own multiple devices and we had one and it was in a room but since my parents were always computer room light yeah (laughs) since my dad's always been a techie techie nerd we had two computer rooms wow yeah so we had (laughs) the one out you know in like the living room kitchen and we had the one on the third floor which was like kind of my dad's office and I would also use that room there was like a tv up there and so I would watch mystery diagnosis late late you know 2 3 a.m when I should have been asleep and was not allowed to be watching tv so I was sneaking up you know the third floor to do one of my nefarious activities get my screen time and okay we've always called them husband pillows but I don't know other people call them other things but do you know what I'm talking about when I say that a boyfriend pillow like the weird huggy pillow that's like it's like sort of a big block with two yeah arms yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. side like almost like it could be like hugging you or whatever I wish you guys could see Sophie right now because what she's doing with her arms is like exactly what I'm talking I'm about the it's pillow. Just, yeah. just okay look up husband pillow or boyfriend pillow if you don't know what yeah. we're talking about <laughs> you'll find it <laughs> anyway so my family is always had many many of these every every person has one for their bed if not two and so there was one of these and it was red and it was sitting on the couch in my dad's study like in this room but when I looked at the couch it was a boy uh, again about my age and he was wearing a red shirt and was sitting on the couch and he was startled by me and I was startled by him And so it was the kind of thing where it's like, I feel like I closed my eyes, like rub them to be like, what am I looking at? And when I opened them, like there was nothing there. Oh my God. And so it's the fact like, so what's strongest to me about the memories are the colors, the blue dress, the red shirt. And, Mm. you know, yeah, the red was exactly in the same places where like the husband pillow was. So that's where I'm like, was my mind going? Mm. Was I just a kid with an overactive imagination? Or did some things just kind of like hover and cross over? And even if he wasn't really wearing a red shirt, like he was manifesting that in my vision because that was how I was able That's to what was... see him. I don't know. Aww. Like their faces are kind of fuzzy to me. Like I can kind of picture it, but I don't think I'd be able to describe them to like an, an artist, like, you know, someone who's skilled in that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, these two children, that was my only real legitimate like ghosting counters. It's interesting that you as a kid saw kid ghosts as well. Yeah. Like you as a child, like we're only seeing ghosts. For all and they children. weren't scary. They weren't scary mm-hmm. at all. 
you know, they weren't trying to haunt me. I didn't feel weird about it. They weren't imaginary friends. Like, it's not like we then hung out later. I never saw either of them again. <laughs> I know the history of my house. Like, these they ghosted. No- <laughs> Wait, they literally ghosted you. <laughs> They were an imaginary friend. They were just like a one night stand. It was like ghosted. This um this wasn't good for me, so I won't be seeing you again. <laughs> oh, this is fun, but I gotta go. <laughs> you know, you're not as interesting as the other kids down the road, so we're gonna go haunt them instead. Yeah, there's just so many kids in this world to haunt. <laughs> but yeah I guess I would say that that experience kind of formatted my concept of ghosts and like the spiritual world in a way that it was never scary to me so like scary movies Mm. with ghosts and like creepy children they weren't creepy to me because I was like I've met children ghosts they're nice you're like ghosts are chill and I really do wonder how real that was and like what was going because again I was a child like I wasn't on drugs I wasn't on medicine even like for you know being sick or something like I literally was just raw dogging reality and that's that's when I saw ghosts there's something there I believe you saw them thank you I don't know what's the ghost story from our camp though because like it was honestly totally like made up but we ate that shit up when we were children what ghost story Tilly's bathroom Oh, yeah, we did eat that shit up. I was like, Tilly's real. Yeah, she felt real. She really did. They're scary. They redid the whole like building. So I think her bathroom is gone now. But we essentially had our own version of Bloody Mary. And it was Mm -hmm. this bathroom that was like part of the main house where like the offices and everything were, but also really close to the infirmary. So, you know, if you were walking near there and just like needed to go to the bathroom real quick this bathroom though was considered like the creepiest bathroom and that this girl like died and like if you said her name in the mirror or something like she would come and like kill you in your bunk or something basically yeah and (laughs) it was just extremely extremely spooky wasn't it like the third bathroom stall oh it was like a specific stall wait because for yeah. years, I remember it, like in school and everything, I would never use that number of stall. Like, I think oh it was the third, gosh. but I really could be wrong. It was like from entering, it was like the third one down. It's like, can't use that stall. I think you probably remember more than I do about it. <laughs> I, 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 I was so fascinated <laughs> with death. Even at a young age, I was like, Tilly, died, mm. bathroom, ghost, tell me more. Yeah, <laughs> it's stuck. The memory is stuck for you. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> Not as many other notable ghosts or ghostly creatures mm. in my life since then. Most of the buildings I've been in have been well, our new. society. Like we train kids to, you know, not tune into their intuitive psychic energy. When I was a kid, I would apparently like sit at the dinner table and I would get like a far away look in my eyes. Like I don't even remember this, and I would say, "In the olden days." forks weren't like this and then I would describe in great detail what forks were like in like the quote-unquote olden days and I would do this about like all sorts of random stuff apparently that is so fucking cool tell me more right now (laughs) I don't know like I just would be like in the olden days so what were forks like in the olden days because I I'm a part of big fork propaganda that I thought all forks were pretty 
I mean, like, yeah, there's a difference between like a three prong, a four prong, a five prong, but like, I don't even know how I describe them. Like, I, I like, again, I've just only been told this colloquially. Like, I don't remember any of these times where I like allegedly zoned out and said this. It was just like what my parents and sister told me. Right, true. So, but I can ask them, you know, I'll, I'll ask them and see what they remember. And I can definitely follow up with you like after this and, and give you more details if you're interested. I, I mean, like I am if I, if I, get I need any. to know what for yeah. like in the olden days. I need to know about all of the olden days thing that you were, you I were remembering. Describe something weird, like the prongs were like attached differently or something. Like, I don't, I don't know. Okay. Here's another question for you. Do you have a bucket list? Not really. I, I sort of just let life like find me. I I have a desire to experience a lot and I still feel really hungry for experiences, but I guess one thing is I would like to live abroad at least for some time, but in terms of specific things I want to do, I feel like I'll just know when I feel satisfied, but right now I still feel hungry for experiences. And I mean, just in terms of bucket lists and doing stuff before you die, like I, regardless of what's going on with the spiritual world, like whatever my form, my energy takes is going to change. Like my experience is going to change after death, whether it just ends or turns into something different. So I only have my time on the mortal plane to experience life as I do now. I feel very, very similarly. Yeah. And that since I would like to live my life to the fullest and enjoy everything I can. Right. But I don't, I don't feel like specific things that I'm like, I need to do before I, I die. I just more am open to experiences and I want to try everything once. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely get that. I'm similar in that I don't have like tangible things for a bucket list aside from yeah I agree traveling is one of my core values so just being able to continue being you know not stuck in one place because you know even though the sky is like the same sky and the moon is the same moon it feels different when you're looking at it from a different place it just hits different I can attest that uh the sun definitely hits different in LA than it does in Maryland yeah (laughs) I don't care if it's the same sun no it's not it's a different sun (laughs) to be to be fair in Maryland we have clouds and like weather and that does a lot to the sun and our ability to interact with it whereas in LA I'm talking about a clear sunny day in Maryland and a clear sunny day in LA they hit different Okay. (laughs) I do fully believe you. I do. It has been many years since I've been to LA. I went for (laughs) my cousin's wedding back when Mm -hmm. I think I was like 17, maybe. I Oh, you got to come back now that you're a fully fledged adult. Mm -hmm. It's way more fun once you're 21 and up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's very, very true. I was in a very different kind of LA by being with my family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, it's it's definitely cool. Actually, my cousin is currently a different cousin is is um living in LA now, and she's very cool. She's the one who designed our cover art. Shout out to Rebecca. Oh, nice. Okay, so here's one question that you didn't actually mention um, specifically, but I think it's how I kind of want to finish off my conversations with people. So, in Jewish culture, we don't like adorning death with more death. 
So in that nature, when someone has died and you're reading their obit, the funeral home will typically have something at the bottom that says, in lieu of flowers, please send donations to, and then they insert a charity. So I would love to know Mm. what your charity in lieu of flowers is. At this moment in time in your life, it's completely open to change. But if you were to die in the next 10 minutes, and (laughs) someone were to say, shit, okay, we don't want to adorn death with more death. Where would you like there to be a bit more focus on? Wow. This is, I, I mean, there's so many worthy causes. And that's really okay. You, it's not to say that one is better or more deserving of another. It's just an instinct. Like in my mm. moment, in my moment today, I would want money, I think, to go to the SPCA where I adopted my cat from who has saved my life, even though she is nuttier than I am or to trees. Cause I love trees. So plant more trees. Mm-hmm. The top things that come to mind are like homelessness, the environment, and public transit. Like, I guess I'm just also in my LA mindset of there's like really bad public transit here, and like homelessness is everywhere. And, you know, we need infrastructure to support people without homes. And also, when it comes to like the environment, I feel like having better public transit helps with that. Yeah, American public transport is pretty fucked all the way around. Is there any city that honestly can say that they're doing a good job? I mean, New York is doing the best and even New York is just like, like rough. It's so chaotic for New York. I, I, oh my God. Well, thank you so much. So I appreciate it so much. This is so much fun. Thank you. This was awesome. (laughs) Hello from the future. (laughs) (laughs) i am with soph we got a few updates for you guys with regards to the episode that you just listened to so we reached out to our friend jen who confirmed that it was totally okay for us to use her name in the story and i asked her a few other questions so i'll read out the uh, response with you guys and that way if soph has anything else to add to jen's ad we'll be able to go through it so okay so jen said That whole thing was really weird. I didn't believe in ghosts or whatever till we started playing with the board. One night we told Ben to possess Sophia, which probably wasn't a good idea. And we thought it wasn't going to happen. So Sophia went to bed, lied there for a while, and I started to get tired. So I went over to Sophia after a while to tell her I was just going to bed. I tried to wake her up and she wouldn't. But then she said, hey, Jen, but it wasn't her voice. It sounded like a guy. Another girl in our bunk was sleeping right next to her and it woke her up. She thought we were messing around and told me to go to sleep. I was pretty creeped out. I asked Soph the next morning if she was just messing around with me, but she had no idea what I was talking about. I'll be honest. I felt kind of obsessed with the whole thing. Like using the board, it was like having a friend or a magic eight ball. I was like, you know, Soph didn't even mention this. She says, I don't know what she talked about. I said, just that you got possessed kind of like you were passing out and told Sophia, you need to go away. Ben doesn't want you here anymore. He's making me pass out and weird stuff like that. And that he stayed with you and followed you home. And Jen said, yeah, that's true. (laughs) So it's so wild. It's like, okay, can I share this with Soph? Can I share it with the pod? This is so cool. And Jen was like, yeah, that's fine. 
she says, yeah, it's all kind of embarrassing and weird because it doesn't sound believable. <laughs> and I was like, no, I got you. That's how it feels like. Like there's a beyond. Spirits can be tricksters. It's real, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, Camp had a weird spiritual energy. We all felt it, even if it was a ghost in Tilly's bathroom. And then later she said, yeah, I believe it. This so-called Ben could be a demon. They are just waiting for me to croak. Camp was creepy. And I said, sorry, what does that mean? Wait, uh... Waiting for you to die? Like, why? Do you think Ben has unfinished business? And Jen said, like, they're waiting to steal my soul or make sure that I am stuck with them here on earth. I'm just joking, but I wouldn't be surprised. I was like, I'm big into instincts. Like, it's blowing my mind that you even have this contract. Why? Why? All of my questions are just like, why are your brains going to these places? It's blowing my mind. And she said, I mean, I am hopeful that it won't happen, but it's a scary (laughs) thought. (laughs) Yes, for sure. For sure. Scary. But that's crazy because like at the end where she says, you know, if they steal my soul or something like that, it's it's giving like Buffy the Vampire Slayer core. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh um yeah and I I don't remember telling Jen in a voice to like go away I do kind of remember the possession thing but well it sounds like you both kind of got a little possessed uh, but it was like fun it's just like oh look at my ears <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I don't know, Ben, are you still out there? Like, homie, get a life. I mean, in death, you know, <laughs> leave my two friends alone. Yeah. Ben, if you're out there, please stop haunting Kim. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I appreciate you so much for coming back to do this. If you have your plugs, anything you would like to plug to the pod people, I'd love to hear it. Sure. So my name is Sophia Romaine. Sophia with an F, Romaine like the lettuce. You can find me on Instagram at Sophia Romaine. I live in LA and I'm on the open mic circuit. So maybe if you're living in LA and you like going to open mics, you might see me there. And you can also find me on Twitter at love to hydrate. That's L-O-V-E, the number two, and then hydrate. And I make jokes on there too. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much, Soph. I'll be sure to include all of your tags in the show notes as well. So you guys can check those out wherever you are listening to this. So thanks again and have a good week, everyone. Bye. Yes. Have a good week, everyone. (laughs) 